your flame shine brighter, let your praise sing louder. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can we sing that chorus out one more time as we listen to God's word? I'm living with a fire. I'm living with a fire burning inside of me. I'm living for the Savior, Jesus, eternally. With all that I am, Lord, I give you my heart. So let the flame shine bright. That's our prayer this morning. We thank you for Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And Jesus, let your name be exalted in this place, in our hearts. Let your name be exalted in our lives. Lord, as we're seeking to follow you, to know you, Lord, let the flame burn brighter. Let the song of Christ sing louder through our lives. Lord, not just here, not just when we're gathered together, but for all the world to see. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, you all can have a seat. It's great to be with you this morning. And I am excited to be able to take uh, a look at God's Word with you uh, at Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, I want to invite you to turn there in your Bible. And uh, we're going to look into God's Word together. And we're going to ask God to teach us from His Word. And uh, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to trust that as we read God's Word aloud that, um, that God will instruct you and He will instruct me. Uh, because we need to hear from the Lord. We need to know uh, how he's leading us, what he's saying, each and every one of us. And we're in a series uh, uh, together called Anchor Distinctives. And today, uh, we're looking at Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. And we're going to look at unashamed worship. And when I think of the word unashamed in relationship to worship, um, I often think of boldness, right? A willingness to worship God without holding back at all. And oftentimes, I think of boldness uh, in relationship to others. Like, I'm not going to let my singing, um, you know, shrink back. I'm not going to sing quieter. I'm going to sing louder, as that song just said. Um, 
And so I think of it as this horizontal thing. Like, am I willing to enter into worship with other people around? And maybe you feel, I, I'm the worship pastor. I'm usually, I've got a guitar up here. I'm, I'm actually way more comfortable with a guitar in my hands than I am doing this. Uh, you know, maybe this can kind of serve as my guitar this morning, just sort of like a, a little comfort. But like, um, maybe for you, when you come into worship every weekend, maybe, um, maybe you feel shame. Can you relate to that at all? Like, oh, I'm standing next to that guy, and now I have to sing. I don't really sing around people ever, but now I'm singing around people maybe I know a little bit, people I've just met for the first time. So shame can sort of be a horizontal thing, and each of us is probably growing as a worshiper of Christ and growing in our boldness uh, and worshiping together. But this passage in Hebrews 10 really is talking about being unashamed in our worship vertically before God um, and really uh, lets us ask the question, how are we coming before God in our worship? And so I want you to think about that question. How are you coming before God as a worshiper? And so we look in the passage this morning and it says in verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. So the first, the, like, the main uh, thing that we see here is that Jesus gives us confidence. You can write that down in your notes. Jesus gives us confidence. And confidence I love this. It's like cheerful courage. And I have a five-year-old son, and um, Jude, and he's playing soccer. And I think of that when I see him play soccer because he just runs around the whole time with a giant smile on his face. And I told him when soccer started this year, I said, Jude, I want you to run as fast as you can and don't let anyone stop you from scoring a goal. And he does that. He just runs around like crazy, and he has this cheerful confidence, uh, this cheerful courage to go and get the ball and to try and score a goal. And that's what confidence is for us. Jesus gives us cheerful courage, a fearless confidence. Um, and that confidence is to go into the holy places. Um, but that's more than just going to a holy place. It's more than just like, oh, good, I get to go to this holy church or this even just heaven. Uh, we actually get access to the holy person who's there. It's not just a place. And that kind of makes me think about celebrities in our culture, and we don't get access to celebrities, right? They've got bodyguards. They've got bodyguards protecting them. So they're, like, there's Justin Bieber, and he's got all these bodyguards protecting him. Uh, there's Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. Kanye had a pretty interesting week, didn't he? Um, there's his bodyguard. This is my favorite, Jason Momoa. He doesn't need bodyguards, but he's, he's bigger than all his bodyguards, isn't he? But the holy place, we get to um, have confidence to enter the holy places, and this represents the tabernacle in the book of Hebrews. Uh, the tabernacle... Um, is where God's special presence uh, resided in the Old Testament. Um, it's the privileged place where God is. P 
place, the place of purity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What, is, what else does the scripture say? It says, be holy as I am holy. And so it's a place of purity, a place of wholeness in God. And Jesus gives us confidence to go there, to the holy place where he is. And it speaks of a present access. We can go now. And it also speaks to a future access for all eternity. So how do we get access to God? How? How does it happen? Well, it happens uh, through a new and living way. Uh, the old way, the old way couldn't even get you um, into the symbolic presence of God. There was always separation there, right? You couldn't go into the holy place. You couldn't go there. You're not allowed. Only one man, one day a year, could go into that place. But there's a new and living way. The new way is in the life of Christ and in the work of Christ, what he did on the cross. And it says that he opened the way for us. He opened the way for us. So the question is, who are we? Who are we? Well, whether we're religious people or whether we're not religious people, um, people who tend to think some of the same things. It doesn't matter if we're religious or not. We tend to think that we need the right character or the right works or the right religious system to come in. But Jesus opened the way for us. How? Through the curtain. Jesus' death on the cross opens up the hidden and restricted access to God. And there's a huge gap between us and God because he is holy and we are not. And that makes me think of the Grand Canyon. I mean, can you imagine? Look at that vast expanse there. Like, how are you going to get from one side to the other? Well, if you go to the Grand Canyon and you are on one side and you want to get to the other side, it's, I don't know, a two or three day journey. You can't just go right across. It's impossible to go right across. But Jesus' death on the cross opens up the hidden and restricted access to God. And Jesus is our priest. And this is a new house for God. And so our starting point for all of us is asking this question, how do I become a worshiper of God? How do I become a worshiper of God? Are you a worshiper of God? Do you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Well, this comes by the blood of Jesus. And that's the very foundation of our faith. On the cross, we see the fullest expression of the love of God. It's right there. It's in the cross. Are you a worshiper of God? Where's your confidence today, even as you are coming to worship today? Well, if it was in yourself, today you can put your confidence in the work of Jesus Christ. I love this paraphrase of Romans 5.10. It says, if his death could do so much to save me, what must his life be doing in the presence of God to keep me? Isn't that beautiful? We have confidence. Jesus gives us confidence. So we're going to take a look at three things that Jesus gives us confidence to do. These are things for us to do, not just to think about, not just to question. Jesus gives us three things that we can be confident in doing. And the first one is to draw near to God. Write that, that down in your notes. Jesus gives us confidence to draw near to God. And so this is an action word. This is about moving ourselves, um, getting up and going into God's presence. We all come to God for different reasons, right? A lot of us come to God because we have felt needs. <laughs> That's the starting point. I've got this huge problem in my life. 
I need something, and that is causing me to go to God, and that's good. But what is needed, the text tells us here, is a true heart, a true heart. Uh, it says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And a true heart really just speaks to a humble openness to hear what God is saying and to receive the free gift of salvation. Psalm 24 says this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. A true heart. Well, there was a Gallup poll that um, asked people what they thought the, the most dishonest professions in America are. And do you guys want to hear what the, the top ten is? Yeah, okay, good. I will say them to you. The top ten most dishonest professions in the U.S. Uh, number ten, nursing home operators. Uh, number nine, lawyers. Number eight, business executives. I was surprised lawyers wasn't number one, but um, number seven, state office holders. Number six, advertising professionals. Number five, newspaper reporters. Number four, TV reporters. Number three, car salesmen. <laughs> and number two, political lobbyists. And number one, members of Congress. There you go. Wow. Wow. Well, we are to come into God's presence with a true heart. How is your heart? How is your heart? Are you willing to come into God's presence with a true heart? How do you worship when you feel guilty or afraid of God? How do you still have a true heart in the midst of that? Well, the text tells us here, it says, we should have full assurance of faith, believing in the work of Christ. And Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we should have a true heart in full assurance of faith, and then we should have clean hearts as well. And the heart is the seat of all of our thoughts, our emotions, our will, and our actions. It's the place where our desires come from. And it's also ground zero in our battle with sin. And so in that place, that place can be clean through Christ. And we can be freed from the guilt and condemnation associated with sin. But that also means that there's work to do each week because we are still sinful, aren't we? Well, not you, Dennis, but, you know, <laughs> most of us are still sinful. And so there is preparation for us to do as we come into God's presence, uh, preparing our hearts for worship. And so this kind of really speaks to a spiritual discipline um, for us to embrace, and that discipline is confession. Um, do you have a, a practice, a daily practice or a weekly practice of confessing sin to God? What confession is, it's saying what's true about you. This is what is true about me, God. This is who I am. This is what I've done. But that's not where it ends. 
we also say what is true about God. This is what your word says, God. And this is what you say about me as a child of God. I want to encourage you to set apart time for God and God alone where you confess your sin, where you have a place um, to confess your sin. And you know what? Coming into worship on Sunday mornings before you even get here, that's a great time to do that. So maybe Saturday night, setting apart some time for God alone. Or Sunday morning early. Um, some of us like to get up early in the morning. Others of us are late night, you know, night owls. But is there time in your schedule for God alone where you can confess your sin? Draw near through Christ. Maybe it's your first time drawing near to Christ. Uh, drawing near to God through Christ. Um, but this is the beginning of a lifelong process of drawing near um, in humility. Saying what's true about you. And saying what's true about God. And this made me think of uh, the fact that recently I started uh, seeing a personal trainer. Now, when I was young, I was athletic. Um, and as I've grown older, I've gotten really into running. And, you know, I've run a couple marathons and stuff. And, you know, but I've never really, like, worked out, worked out. Um, I've never, you know, gotten to a place where I'm, like, really fit. And so I thought, I know this guy, Jose Dominguez, he's a great guy, uh, he's right here in Palos Heights, and I said, Jose, can you help me, can you help me get in shape? So he's like, yeah, come on over to my house, I'll, I'll uh, teach you how to get strong and how to get flexible, like, Mark, you're 41, like, it's no joke anymore, you're getting old, like, you gotta you got pay some attention to your body. So I made the mistake this week of wearing one of my marathon finisher shirts to my workout, and I was all proud. I was like, yeah, 26.2 miles. And then Jose said, well, it's leg day, bro. And I was like, I got this, leg day, no problem. 26.2 miles on my t-shirt right here. And then he was like, at the end of the workout, he's like, here's a jump rope. And I said, what? A jump rope? What, what's this for? And he's like, well, you're going to jump rope. And so I started trying to jump rope. I did not know how to jump rope anymore. <laughs> Maybe I knew when I was young, I don't know, but I did not know how to do it, and I had to do 60 jumps on one leg, and then I had to stand there for a minute with my eye closed, like this, and I couldn't stand there with my eyes closed on one leg, and it really bothered me. There I was in my marathon shirt, and I could not do, I could not do what he was asking me to do, and there I was with my eye closed, and I heard Jose say something. You know what he said? Humble yourself, Mark. Humble yourself. I was like, whoa, that's amazing. You know why? Because he wanted me to embrace what was true about me. I could not do it. I got work to do. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. And what was true about the work? That's the work I needed to do to get better, to get stronger, to get more flexible, right? Do you see that? Do you see that? And that's what we are encouraged to do, to humble ourselves. But we have confidence to do that. We have confidence to come into God's presence and say, God, you are a holy God. I'm a sinful person. Let's say what's true about us, and let's get after the work with God of being worshipers of Christ. So we have confidence um, to come into God's presence, to draw near to God. So what kind of heart are you bringing to worship? I wonder what went on in your heart this morning during worship. Were you stirred? Were you moved? Were you interacting with God? 
what was going on in your heart? Well, we have confidence to draw near to God because of Jesus. Secondly, we have confidence to hold fast to our confession. Write that down. Jesus gives us confidence to hold fast to our confession. Verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Where does the strength, the grip strength, to hold on tight come from? Where does it come from? It comes from Christ. How can we not give up, wipe out, drop out? That comes from Christ. Well, I love the story of Tommy Caldwell. He, uh, in, it took him 19 days to free climb El Cap Capitan, and we're going to play a video of him doing this. This is like a thousand feet in the air. There's Tommy missing one finger. Look at the grip strength. Come on. How is he holding on? Oh my. Look at this grip. He did it. Isn't that amazing? Well, how's your grip? How's your grip? Well, we are to hold fast to the confession of our faith. And how do we do that? Well, we confess. We actually open our mouths and we speak out. We say it. This is confession here is what I open my mouth and speak about Christ. So we're not just saying this is what I believe about Christ or what I think about Christ. It's what I say or sing about Christ. This is what confession is. And then it says without wavering. Uh, it's firm, it's unmoved, and worship tightens our grip. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. Worship gets our eyes off of ourselves and onto Christ. And that's our theme verses of church, right? Hebrews 6, 19, it says this, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So we hold on to the teachings of Christ because they produce hope. And Jesus' character is trustworthy. So we look to him. We look to him. And we need hope, don't we? We need hope. When we feel doubtful, when we feel discouraged, we need hope. We need hope that comes from outside of ourselves. It comes, in, it comes in Christ. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I think this also speaks to the, the reality that worship is more of an us thing than it is a me thing. Worship is an us thing, not just a me thing. We need each other to hold on tight. We need each other to hold on tight. When we're singing together here, 
That's what we're doing. And I know, I know, sometimes you guys are singing loudly. Other times you have no voice to sing at all. But that's why we're here together. Sometimes we have to sing for people who can't sing. Uh, sometimes we have to be willing to open our mouths and sing when we're not willing to enter in. Because it's an us thing. If we're here together and nobody's singing, what are we doing? Worship is an us thing. Together we proclaim Christ. And so what's a spiritual discipline for holding fast our confession? Um, well, prayer is a spiritual discipline that you can embrace, that you can practice regularly. And um, I wonder, do you have a time set apart for God where you pray? And many of us think of prayer just as spontaneous words that come out of my mouth to God. But historically, prayer has been praying other people's words for days and months and years, praying other people's prayers um, like the Psalms. Do you know that was a practice? Jesus prayed the Psalms, even on the cross when he was dying, um, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's, that's a Psalm. Jesus was constantly praying the Psalms. And so prayer, a practice of prayer, the discipline of prayer, we can pray the Psalms. You can pray the Lord's Prayer. I've been doing that with my kids before they go to school in the morning. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And our kids have that prayer memorized now because we do it so often. It's one of my favorite things that we do together. It's a, it's a discipline of prayer, praying other people's words. You can also speak some of the creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, which really helps us hold on tight to the confession of our faith. This is what people have fought and died for, um, to say this is what we believe about God. Well, I love European soccer. I'm not going to shy away from it. I don't care what you think of me. Um, I am unashamed in my passion for European soccer. One of the things I love is that they sing at soccer matches. And so um, Liverpool last year, they won the Champions League. And they were, before they got to the final, they played two ma They play each team two times. And then the, the total score of those two matches uh, either you win or you lose. And so the first match they played against Barcelona, they lost 3-0. So then the second match, they had to score four goals, or they had to win by four goals, and here they were in Liverpool, and they did it. They won 4-0. And after the game, they sang, and this is just such a beautiful example, I think, of worship as an us thing. Never give up. The song they're singing is You'll Never Walk Alone. That guy's crying. Isn't that a cool picture of uh, holding fast the confession of our faith, 
without wavering, they were doing it together. I love that. Maybe you, maybe that moved you one inch closer to being a soccer fan. I really hope so. <laughs> Jesus gives us confidence to hold fast our confession. And finally here, Jesus gives us uh, confidence to encourage each other. Let's write that down, to encourage each other. And the scripture here says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this word, uh, encourage, it's another action word. It means to provoke or to incite. Those are strong words, aren't they? When I think of encouragement, I think of like, hey, buddy, you need some help putting the dishes away? But no, these are strong words here to provoke, to incite. And again, you have to open your mouth to do this. You have to actually speak words to encourage someone. And here again, we see that worship is more of an us thing than it is a me thing. But what are we provoking each other to? Not a lot of the stuff that we typically fight about, right? In our homes or at church, not like the, not like the, the silly things that we tend to fight about in church. No. What are we provoking each other to? Well, love. Love, firstly. And this is brotherly love. Affection. Goodwill. Benevolence. Provoking, inciting each other to love. And I wonder, how do you see people when you come to church? What do you see when you look around, when you walk through the doors? Now, I'm one of the churchiest people you're ever going to meet. I've been going to church since I was first born. My dad's a pastor. And, you know, so I've known a lot of church people in my 41 years. And, you know, church people, they, they tend to see each other certain ways. Some of them aren't so good, right? We can see each other as a threat, as competition, as if there's a scarcity of God's gifting or of the resources that God has. We can see each other as rivals or just plain annoying, right? That's how church people can be. But, but here we are to encourage each other, to provoke each other toward love, brotherly love. And I have a twin brother. Um, his name is Paul. And when we were young, we sort of had this rivalry. We talked about who was actually um, the older twin because we were born C-section. And so we always fought about who would have been born first if we had come out, you know, naturally. Like, surely one of us would have prevailed against the other and would have been the firstborn. And so we had uh, yearly contests on our birthday birthday where we would try and do really dumb things uh, to try and best each other. It was like a competition. But through the years, we've kind of given that up. It's not a contest anymore, but we still provoke each other towards love. And I got a text from my twin brother the other day saying, hey, let's train for a year, and we'll fly out to California, and we're going to do the Cactus to Clouds hike. It is a 13-hour... 10,000 foot straight up hike from the desert floor to the top of Mount San Jacinto. And he, like that text barely dinged on my phone and I already said yes. Because my twin brother, he's provoking me uh, to 13 hours with him. And I love that guy. 
I want to be around him. He's in Ohio. We see each other maybe twice a year. I'm like 13 hours with my twin brother. The last time we climbed that mountain, we climbed 2,000 feet of it. And I was so, like, we didn't acclimatize or anything. So he was practically dragging me up the mountain, yelling at me, inciting me to finish the work. And it was all out of love. It was great. We are to encourage each other towards love. We're also to encourage each other towards good works. And good works, it's kind of a general term, like anything we make with our hands. Anything we make with our hands, any art we create, any industry we put our uh, mind to, anything that we're working on. And, you know, you all are working hard each week. And one of the things that we get to do as a church is to help each other in our work. Um, to help each other pursue uh, growth as people that work, to thrive in our work, to be balanced in our work, kind of balance out, you know, how much time we put into our work versus our family versus our, you know, spiritual pursuits. We get to help each other with that. We want to honor Christ um, in all things and in our work. And so I wonder if you think about that ever. If you think about that, like, what are you doing? What are you doing for work these days? What's that like for you? Um, you ever ask people about that? God has good works for us to do in his name as well for his kingdom's sake. And um, we love helping people work for Christ in this church, helping them uh, understand where their spiritual gifting is, to start to utilize that. Um, this is a place for you to work for Christ. But there's many places for you to do that, too. And I just have to say, when it comes to stirring each other up uh, to love and to good works, um, there is an opportunity, especially for people like me who are over 40, to encourage younger people in this church. I wonder, if you're under the age of 40, would you be willing to stand up right now? If you're under 40, just go ahead and stand up right now. Now, for those of us who are older than 40, take a look at the people that God is inviting us to build into. Now, these are people who don't have expectations built on years of church preferences. They have unique perspectives. They have unique needs. They're young in their faith. This is who we are as a church. Look at these young people. Let's commit today to encouraging them towards love, towards good works. Man, I don't know where I would be if I didn't have people like Rory who have built into my life. I would be messed up if I didn't have someone who built into my life. Could we agree together as a church that we should build in to these people? Now stay standing. So many young people are leaving the church. They're just giving up. They're done with it. They have some good reasons to be done, to be honest. But they have some bad reasons to be done, too. Well, the scripture says, do not neglect to meet with each other. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. And really, that, that word neglect, it, it means to forsake, to leave helpless. And so I just want to say to you young people, we love you. We're for you. We want to build into your lives. 
Um, we need you as a church. And when you leave, if you leave, if you neglect meeting together, we feel it. We're not the same. We're, we we're weaker as a church when you're gone. We need you to be here. All right, you can have a seat. <laughs> that word neglect, it makes me think of places that have been abandoned. If you're on Instagram, like they've got like abandoned, uh, abandoned places, like you can go look at all these pictures and Chernobyl is like one of these super popular places. That it was abandoned because there was a nuclear accident there. Um, and I think of that, look at that. That place has been abandoned for decades. And people who neglect the church, they abandon the church, they make it a habit. And what does the church become? The church, as people abandon it, it can become like this. There's so much purpose, so much potential there, but it's all gone now. It's all gone. And it's also a picture of what happens to you spiritually as you leave the church, because you need the church as well. And your spiritual life will dry up. Your spiritual life will not be the thing that God intended it to be. So don't neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. And meeting together, it's specifically talking about the religious assembly of Christians. So it's talking about church, people. It's not talking about you hanging out at Starbucks with your Christian friends. It's saying, don't give this up. This is important. It matters. Some of us have this habit, like we're rolling into church late. Like you see, sometimes, you know, when I'm done leading worship and like I'll go get a drink of water or something like that, I'm like, man, that guy's just getting to church. Is he super early for the next service? Or like, I don't know what's going on. So we can, we can just not really take it seriously. Um, or it can be more reflected in our hearts, a heart attitude. I'll come, but I'm going to hold back, not really going to participate. I'll be there, but I'm more skeptical or judgmental. Well, Zephaniah 3 gives us a picture of what happens when God is saying, I've got a community that I want to breathe my life into, but they are resisting. Zephaniah 3 says, Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. But then listen to what God says. My decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, for at that time I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. So let me ask you this. Do you have a day set apart each week for God? Is this, have you just decided in your mind, I'm going to be a part of the church, I'm going to be a part of my church community. I'm going to come to Anchor Church. I'm going to be there every week. Do you have that commitment in your heart? And I want to encourage you with an opportunity to look into having a Sabbath day, like a whole day set apart for God. And this could be part of it. Church doesn't have to be like the whole part of your day with God. Uh, but we have a great book in our bookstore uh, called The Common Rule, which which really speaks to how to develop um, some rules in your life to orient your life around God. And one of them is developing a Sabbath day. And some of us, because we kind of grew up in strict environments around the Sabbath, we're like, we couldn't watch TV, uh, we couldn't even like ride our bike or exercise. We have sort of warped views of the Sabbath. 
Um, and so we've kind of given it up altogether. And of course, we live our lives with a computer in our pocket, right? We have a computer with us 24-7. And so there's no time that's set apart for God. And so I want uh, you to just maybe think about, spend some time thinking about this week, uh, what it might look for you to set apart a day for God, a day of rest, a day of getting into your body for exercise, a day of being with family, uh, a day of drawing near with your family to God. What might that look like? Don't give up meeting together. And then it says, what do we do when we're meeting together? Well, we encourage each other. We teach. We speak to each other. We strengthen each other. And this encouragement, it's the same kind of work that the Holy Spirit does. It's actually that word encourage. It's, it's the same word for the Holy Spirit. And so when we encourage each other, isn't that cool to think that we're like partnering with God in the work that he's doing? And then it says, all the more as you see the day approaching. And the tone of our encouragement is impacted by the reality that our time in this world is short. Time's almost up. Man, how fast time goes. So how should we encourage each other all the more as we see the day approaching? The way that we think of each other, approach each other in our church community matters. Um, And let me just encourage us, let me encourage us uh, to focus less on the forms or preferences that we all bring to the table when we come to church. And instead, to seek out what God is trying to accomplish. What's he up to? To go below the surface in our interactions. You know, so much of our talk is surface level. And in general, right? I'm the kind of guy I don't know how to do small talk. And I'm kind of well known, especially on the worship team, for just walking away from conversations. If I ever do that to you, I apologize. But I do not know how to do small talk. So I either want to plunge into the depths of, like, deep relational content, or I don't want to be near you. So so if I ever walk away from you, you have my permission to just grab a hold of... No, don't do that. But, like, um, but a lot of our conversations stay surface level, don't they? And that can happen at church, too, right? Surface level stuff that we interact with. Boy, that music was loud. I can't stand that song. That's not the kind of preaching I prefer. Did you see the thing that she was wearing at church? Surface level. Surface level. And here's the thing. The more time we spend arguing about surface level methods or preferences, the less time we have to encourage each other about what really matters. And I know, I know it's hard. It's hard for us, especially for people who've been around a long time in the faith like me. We have strong preferences, don't we? So let me ask, how are your relationships? Can you come into worship and look outside of yourself to others? I want to invite you to embrace this when you come to church. And listen, we can't build this kind of community where we do this without you. We can't do it without you. Um, Will you help build it? Will you come in looking to encourage people each week? This is our job. This is what the work is for us to do. And Jesus gives us the confidence to do it. And we get to do it until he comes. He has said, behold, 
I'm with you always till the very end of the age. And he has promised that he is coming. He has promised that he is faithful. This is the work until he comes. And as the worship team comes up right now, I just think of what God helps us see in the book of Revelation. Praise God for this image that we see in the book of Revelation of people from every nation, tribe, and tongue who are surrounding the throne of God. They are laying down their thrones, their crowns in worship before the throne of God. Uh, this is the picture. This is what we're all pointing to. Like, we're not just here to have an awesome worship service. I hope you didn't come just to hear me try to preach um, for like the fifth time. Like, there's more. There is more. We have a trajectory. We have a place that we're going to. And Jesus gives us the confidence to go there, to come before his throne, to hold on tightly to the confession of our faith and to encourage each other and all the more until he comes. So let's stand. We're going to just respond to the Lord with hearts that are ready to worship. Are you ready? Yes. Come on, let's sing. <laughs>